and the unison of all the global governments um, suggested that they they were worried about something that they weren't telling the public, which is we're broke. The social contract's been broken. All the pensions. I mean, I don't think people understand that they're never going to be able to pay all these pensions. So this is where we are. And what we see now is economically is the beginning of what I call the end of the, the current fiat system and something else will emerge. I don't know what, but that we're at the end. We're at the end of this, I think. Well, let's talk about that, because the story continues to get more interesting every year, just when we thought that maybe the lockdown were over and maybe the vaccine boosters have slowed down. Now we're entering into this uh, this economic situation. So um, we've seen bank failures recently. We've seen the crypto world, which started off as very interesting, exciting alternative to fiat now kind of crash and burn. And there's a lot of theories around how that happened. And now we're pointing very closely towards these CBDCs, which I think in the US, the FedNow system is supposed to be rolled out in July. And yeah, what what do people need to see here? Because we went from, like you said, government's running out of money to government's printing massive amount of money to, you know, new surveillance going. And now we're seeing bank failures, crypto failing, crypto now being highly discouraged and regulated, all pushing people to something that has massive surveillance, which is a CBDC. So 2019, the global uh, economies were rolling over and that was showing up in the overnight lending rate at the Fed. COVID came, emergency powers are uh, given to the Fed. They're able to buy corporate credit and uh, uh, and the print. I mean, it, the money supply went up 65% year over year, the largest money supply ever uh, in the history. If you go back even to, as far as 1868, it's, just, it's, it's the largest increase in the money supply. So all that did really was kick the can down the road, because I think what people need to understand is the system is a dollar. Uh, the dollar is the world reserve currency of the world. It's a debt based fiat system. So for every dollar created, there's a corresponding debt. And uh, the system needs constant credit creation meaning it needs to grow. It's a beast that needs to be fed all the time. And if you think about what's happened since early 2000, the last uh, 23 years after the, the, the dot-com bust, we started exporting lots of dollars. And so there's now $15 trillion uh, uh, overseas in the form of dollar-denominated debt. So the system got some another 20 years of you know exporting dollars and people with our low interest rates, people borrowed in dollars. And now Unfortunately, um, and, and this is this is another signpost for me that something's different and why the system may be ending. Um, when inflation started coming, two things happened. Um, commodities started going up and the dollar went up. And you know that that's never happened before. The dollar, usually, commodity cycles are uh, usually inversely related to the dollar. So we've never seen the dollar and the commodities go up at the same time very powerfully. So that what was going on? Uh, the inflation and the money printing uh, started to really, and the supply chain break started to really be a credit contraction event globally. And the dollar going up was a sign that credit was uh, becoming scarce globally. And curiously enough, the Fed decided to raise interest rates. And we had indicators uh, showing us that the Fed rate hike cycle should have ended before it started because the market was telling us that um the economies of the of, of the globe were slowing and instead they decided to raise 500 basis points in 12 months and now we have money supply m2 going negative year-over-year growth in november it's the first time it's happened since 1930 it's come close a couple of times but never gotten there um the, the, the prior four, so this is the fifth time it's happened since 1868. The prior four times, including 1930, were panics. Uh, and so this is, uh, this is a credit contraction event. We're seeing deflation. And we were saying last year, looking at our economic cycle indicators that a recession's coming, we were predicting a 2000, 2001, or 1990-type recession. It looks like it's going to be a very hard landing. Whether it goes systemic remains to be seen, but this is going to be worse uh, than those two recessions. And sure enough, like clockwork, uh, about a month before SVB, 
you know, we look at different asset classes. We were seeing uh, the dollar putting in a nice uh, uh, low. Uh, the, the the long bond, the thirty year Treasury was putting in a three year cycle low, and equities had already peaked. So we were we were thinking something. I put out a mysterious tweet saying we're looking for a setup to complete, and sure enough, SVB fails overnight. And I think what people need to understand is that this took everybody by surprise. There was not chitter chatter that banks were going to start failing. This this is super fast super fast and my prediction is is that we're going to have um the powers that be try to control this because it's it's inevitable um deposits are fleeing uh banks because the market forces are such that you can get five percent from a treasury bill and zero percent from your deposit so the bank run had started before people started talking about it it was just market forces you 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 know you, you and i have been doing this for years this is what happened with the SNL crisis. There was, you know, they were they had they had deposits. They were levered long. The yield curve was positively sloped. It was hunky dory until the Fed raised interest rates, and then the SNLs got upside down. Same things happening again. Different, different, you know, specifics. But here we are, and it's inevitable. And I think it's beyond the Fed's control and the global government's control and the other central banks. And I say that because the money supply going uh year over year negatives is 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 an indication that it's it's happening fast so the only question i have is what's the speed of this implosion can they control it and if they can't and it goes fast it's bad for everybody so i'm hoping they do they're able to kind of plug put their finger in the dike everybody thinks it's fine then we get another crisis three months from it. and so it's kind of whack-a-mole all the way down to a low so that's that's where that's my current uh thinking uh, the the fed is definitely going to do an emergency rate cut in the next three to six months the for the fed funds futures curve is calling um the fed out and it's already you know uh factoring in the, these this is the market the wisdom of the market is saying four interest rate cuts this year so that's where we are and were, what was the fed right to bail out the depositors of svb you know that seems political because you know we're getting disparate we're getting comments that are like um uh they're conflicting so janet yellen guarantees the deposits for everybody one day then says no so there seems to be a debate there, there seems to be an understanding that they can't bail out all the depositors at once so they backed off from that comment but the svb was clearly a political decision so uh bailing out their friends so we're at the end we are at we're at a point now where the people in charge um don't know what they're doing and janet yellen went before uh uh the senate and congress to talk about the budget deficit and senator ron johnson asked her a simple question about what she was there for this mind you she was there to talk about the budget deficit the 10-year cbo plan he asked her the deficit number she didn't know it, it was 17 trillion so this woman didn't even know what the deficit is over the next 10 years. And that's what the hearing was about. So I think there's confusion. I think there's fear in these institutions. I think they, I, I don't, again, I don't, I, I, I'm not in the room, but it's either, it's either stupidity or a plan. It doesn't matter. The end result's going to be the same. Uh, a lot of regional banks uh, going bankrupt and consolidation of banking. There'll be a lot of shotgun marriages like we saw with Credit Suisse and UBS. Interestingly enough, there was a tell there. The Swiss throughout uh, the rule of law made rules over the weekend. And when a go government does that, that, that's a tell that they see something that, that that's terrifying them and they have to basically break their own laws. So again, don't 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 watch what they say, watch what they do. That's what we do on Wall Street. I don't care what you say, I watch what you do. And, and, and the governments uh, and the Fed, they're all acting very squirrely right now. And that, that makes me nervous. I, I, I seriously hope they can gently land us I, if the thing's if this thing speeds up brian it's going to get bad that that's my humble opinion and i and look i want to be wrong but it, you know the the what i see from the again i'm a student of the market i don't make predictions based on what i want it's, i'm looking at asset classes and what and, and what the markets are telling me and they're telling me deflation uh, and risk assets are going lower that, that's what i see you know when i worked in london two of my biggest derivative clients were credit suisse and Deutsche Bank. I mean, these were the big, big, big players. And um, I mean, I know guys, you know, that it got paid in equity. That's how you got paid. And it's gone to zero well, in Credit Suisse's case, obviously. Um, hard to believe. And then, like you said, 
the way they structured that where bondholders got zero and equity, I mean, equity holders got this. It was like, wait a second, like, what are you doing? Like you said, breaking laws over the weekend to make this happen. And the Deutsche Bank, I mean, come on, that's like the bank of Europe. And to just, you know, we don't know what's going to happen yet, but that's even called into question is it's scary. And the speed of the SVB bank run, like you said, uh, people were just, they were flabbergasted because oh, this stuff, when it moves, it moves super fast. And before you know it, you wake up, you go home on a Friday and you wake up Monday morning and the ATMs don't work. And then you want to see real panic. You see when that happens. Okay. We see what happens when you lock people down and force them to take vaccines. What happens when the ATMs don't work? You'll get to see real panic. What happens when there's literally no food? Then you get to see something really interesting. And then your surveillance mechanisms become very functional, I guess, at that point. Yeah, it, 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 it does seem that my my hypothesis about COVID being used as a control system would be very convenient if it was fully in place. It doesn't appear to be, so that's a problem for them. And that's good. That's good news. The good news is uh, if, they, if this was a control system, it, it hasn't been implemented to their liking, I don't think. What, what do you see in the uh, crypto industry? Because, you know, strangely enough, when, you know, this was all happening with the banking system, Bitcoin's going up and then up and then up. At the same time, the U.S. at least, and, and in Europe as well, they're cracking down, cracking down, cracking down, lawsuits against, you know, stablecoin issuers and other different exchanges like Binance and Coinbase. Um, what do you see there? Well, let, let, let's, let's reverse engineer this. So we're going into a period of deflation. We're going into sovereign debt uh, bubble kind of bursting. There's going to be a mad scramble for taxation and revenues for these governments to continue to uh, line their pockets. Um, so crypto is an alternative to governments. It's I find it curious that all of the regulation uh, chatter and what's going on is hitting now. It seems like they want to pull the plug and uh, they're going to have to scramble for every last cent and dollar from everybody to keep this whole thing afloat. You know, people have been asking me, what, what would you do with your assets? I said, well, look, I'm not I'm not going to give specific um, trade ideas or stock ideas. I've just been saying it's been a good idea for the better part of the year to raise cash and get as short duration as possible. Treasury direct three month T-bills. And, you know, that's actually, I think, where the government wants people to end up. So why not get ahead of the curve? Because if they're going to force you into their own bonds, that's going to be at the expense of other risk, risk assets. So uh you know, and then buy the risk assets when everybody is selling them at the bottom. So I feel like uh, it, it all revolves around debt and bank and, and, and there's and people don't realize the globe is bankrupt and there's going to be a mad dash for tax revenues. And, 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 and that's why they're going after crypto right now. They need to squash it. Uh, I don't think they're going to be successful, uh, but they have to be able to figure out a way to get their get get their get their vigorous or their take so to speak yeah and if you're a government and well look if you're a retail person and you're looking at what's happening in the banking sector and what's happening with governments you're thinking wow well maybe i should just put my money in bitcoin and that's probably the last thing you want people to do with their savings for a variety of reasons taxation you don't want that capital just disappearing from the system it's not going to help any of their plans um, so yeah, they're cracking down on it. Bitcoin is a hard thing to outlaw, but you can put quote unquote speed bumps as some of my guests said everywhere, and it will just make it more difficult. We can slow it down. It'll make all the other associated coins nearly impossible. And we've seen the Ethereum lawsuits with the CFTC says it's a commodity and the SEC says it's a security. That's fascinating. And then they're both suing people over that. And then obviously the stable coins all pushing people to the CBDCs, which we've seen China roll out very successfully. And I've heard some pretty dark things. I think 100 million plus people are using the digital yuan. Obviously, they're trying to export that currency to 50 plus Belt and Road countries around the world. What do you see happening there, Ed, as far as an end game with China? And then I'll probably ask you a little bit about war as well. Yeah, so look, um, the dollar has been one of the greatest secret weapons of the U.S. government. Um, it's the way we control a lot of our allies, and it uh, has a lot to do with our power. So if that's challenged, 
And look, you know, I I still think the dollar is king and the dollar, if it fails, it's going to fail up because of the way, you know, it's a debt base. So we're going to do deflation. The dollar will get stronger. So the dollar will go up and, and the, the countries that have a lot of their debt in dollars will scream hem and haw and, and want a new monetary system. China and Russia are trying to offer that. But let's be let's be realistic. Uh, they are not the most trustworthy of people as bad as the U.S. is corruption wise. Those two guys are way worse. So I think if they are successful, it means war. <coughs> the, uh, the, we'll, we'll go to war over that. And um, that won't be told to us. That's why we're going to war. They'll be they'll gen up some propaganda campaign. You know, we're doing this in the name of democracy and freedom, whatever. Uh, they'll have to sell it to the populace. The other reason why war might might be necessary is there's two ways out of this problem, this, this, this sovereign debt problem. You default, which bankers don't like, or you inflate your way out. And the only narrative that, that anybody will buy is a well-orchestrated propaganda campaign for war. That's the only narrative that the American people would, would buy uh, into uh, as long as the war is sold in a fashion that they believe. Um, China hit a demographic wall in 2020. They're now, their economy is going to, we at Finance Technologies, uh, Carlos has done a lot of work on this. He thinks their GDP growth is going to be over 20 years, 3%. That's uh, a far cry from the double digit. 3% GDP growth for China means revolution. So they have a big, big problem. And when you're in power and you're, and, and the thing you're most scared about is your own people. And I know this for a fact because when I was at BlackRock, our energy guys would go to China in 2003, 2004, and they would come back with the same stories. They're all worried about keeping their people happy. Their biggest fear is their own population. So if that's your biggest fear, uh, to stay in power, you need to create a boogeyman. And that boogeyman obviously isn't you, it would be someone else. So unfortunately, given the nature of the system, given the nature of the coming war over the dollar, um, it seems like it's inevitable that it goes kinetic. It's, I, I know there's a kinetic war in Ukraine, but that's a proxy war. Kinetic in that UK citizens, US, everybody, you know, gets involved. And uh, it's that, that kind of war where we haven't seen one of those wars in a long time. And I don't I, look, Brian, I hope I'm wrong, but it just seems like that's what's happening. So you're saying that's what China ultimately needs to stop a revolution is, yeah. is a kinetic war that they're involved in, not a proxy war. And you're saying that America needs the same thing? Uh, well, we'll go to, if, if the dollar's challenged, right. that the, they'll get us. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the U S does not, they, they know that they know that the U S citizens are waking up fast. So that'll be a hard sell. But, uh, I'm, uh, if the dollar's challenged in any meaningful way, not just, you know, happy talk and meetings with Saudi Arabia, like a meaningful market share loss, we'll go to war. And I don't see that. I don't see that immediately, but it's, it's out in the next two to three, four years. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to at that point, I guess, or at least you could sell that. Uh, it's interesting what you say about China. I haven't heard anyone say that, but it would make sense. It would explain a lot of the measures that they're putting into place to just kind of regress it way back to its former communist state and to make it all about surveillance, to make it less about the economy. And maybe they're preparing a way to control the population as opposed to letting it kind of run rampant in a quasi capitalistic way. But I didn't necessarily see that coming if you go back 10 years, or maybe you did because you could see the writing on the wall when you were at BlackRock. No, I, I, I wasn't seeing this 10 years ago. Um, but I've come to learn through my, you know, I'm always learning and discovering demographics is destiny. Um, and, and, and Carlos has also done work, the, you know, the Euro, it, it's not a question of when, but uh, of if, but when the Euro uh, blows up because the demographic problem in Southern Europe is so bad that Germany is, at some point can get tired of footing the bill for these people. So there's a bunch of demographic things that are going on. And I find it very curious that China, what, what, what we need to go, we need to go back to the great financial crisis, China, uh, had been building up a lot of debt pre-grade financial crisis, but that debt was okay because uh, we were exporting manufacturing jobs and plants and equipment to China. So that was like debt that was um, that had a return on investment. After the great financial crisis, 
uh, China opened up the uh, stimulus uh, spigots and to keep their economy afloat and reinflate, uh, they built infrastructure projects to nowhere and ghost cities. We all know about the ghost cities. And that was okay because their population was still growing. It was starting to slow, but it, it hit the wall in 2020. And now, and, and so the debt that they piled on since the great financial crisis is, is uh, disastrous. It's, it's unproductive debt. There's no return from it. So there's, there's, a, there's a debt crisis in China as we speak. And I just find it curious that COVID emerged when China hit the demographic wall as well. And a lot of the zero COVID policies we saw at the end of last year uh, were not about COVID. They were about uh, bank runs, food riots, employment riots. Um, so that's what's going on in China. Uh, COVID was a massive cover. They're, they're imploding and it's just not televised. And it, it and you saw, you know, it finally broke through to the mainstream media here in November, December of last year. There were lots of, uh, you know, um, videos of what was going on in China. And they, they try to keep that tight. Our government doesn't want us to see that either. Um, so that's what's going on in China. It's imploding. And, you know, you, let, let's what's another tell? Vanguard just left. They're gone. Vanguard pulled out of China. Larry Fink at BlackRock still seems to think it's a good idea. But, you know, look, I'm not in the room. Uh, he may be top ticking, in, in my humble opinion. <laughs> what, what can you tell us about BlackRock? Like you were in there. Funny enough, the, the public kind of knows that name lately because a lot of people talk about it as, you know, the largest asset holder of everything. Um, what can you tell people about what it's really like in there and even how it's changed since you, you were there? Yeah, so uh, when I left BlackRock, I, I signed a non-disparagement agreement. So I'm not going to say anything bad about them, but I can give some history. When I was there, uh, I, I left in 2012, so it's been 10, 10 going on 11 years since I've been there. I will also mention that everybody that I worked with and knew is no longer there. So I don't even have a call into the company anymore. A lot of the original founders of the company have retired. So whatever it's become is vastly different than what I was experiencing. It was a, When I was there, it was a great firm. There's a lot of camaraderie. Uh, I was there in 2002 when they acquired state street investment research i was i was their first acquisition uh, and that's when i joined blackrock and um it was a great firm a lot of you know uh very very small but then they started uh growing through acquisition merrill lynch asset management came then barclays and the firm started changing underneath my feet and i went from you know being um supervised by uh, a partner to many layers of middle management between me and one of the founding members. And uh, I got an employee number, you know, that's when it was, that's when I, I you know, and, and it became more political. Um, and that's, uh, that's when I left. Uh, it wasn't fun anymore. And that also was a concerted effort from active management, which is what I did, picking stocks uh, with risk and different from a benchmark to passive ETFs. And that's where a lot of uh, BlackRock's growth has come from. When they acquired Barclays, they acquired the passive ETF business. And that's been the thrust of, of, uh, of their business the last 10 years. So BlackRock is in the news a lot with the um, independent news media. You know, I'll say this, Charlie Munger uh, put an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And a lot of people think BlackRock, Vanguard, and uh, State Street would control the world. They're, stu they're agents. They just happen to be the biggest index houses in the on the planet. What they do have power over, though, is voting shares. They, they can they, they vote they vote they vote the uh, board at the board of directors. They can vote their shares on proposals. And in the old days, when I was there, and it was mostly active management, I would vote the shares. Each portfolio portfolio manager would vote the shares. Because of the massive indexing, it's an executive committee uh, of senior executives that vote the shares. So Charlie Munger, again, this, these aren't my words, so let's make that clear. Charlie Munger said that the, uh, there might be a, a monopoly problem here in that there's too much power and too few hands to potentially, no proof, no evidence, have influence, undue influence over these companies. And that's, that's the crux of the issue. Do these people have a call into the C-suite to tell them what to do? And that that's something you know uh with that kind of power it could be abused and charlie munger seems to think we need to think about that again this is warren buffett's number two right 
I've heard you and other people say they've gone heavy down the ESG route. I'm just wondering, I always wonder, is that a, a route you go down if you want to exert control and influence, or are they going down there for another reason? So the, the, the suspicion is it's, it's, it's diabolical. I suspect there's business reasons. ESG, you can, uh, it's a fee, it's a fee, uh, thing. You can charge more for ESG. Uh, I also think that that ESG, um, trend is peaking and it's over. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, getting excited about something as it's, as it's cresting. Um, because part of the problem is the people who decide it goes in these ESG indexes aren't doing it necessarily. It's, it's become very political. So that's, you know, that's something that I think people have a problem with, you know, Tesla was ESG, then he bought Twitter and that Tesla's kicked out. And, you know, that makes no sense. Electric cars, you know, ES, you know, well, I, I can make the case that electric cars aren't ESG friendly. They actually consume more energy than, 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 than gas com combustion. But, but let's not even go there. Let's, let's assume that electric cars are ESG friendly. Elon was kicked out of this index. So, the ESG thing, I think, um, was originated so you could you could you could charge higher fee higher fees. So, I mean, yeah. just that's classic Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you work on Wall Street long enough, you know, there's only one reason to do anything: it's higher fees. Like higher fees. That's it. Like, you just ha you don't have to spend a couple of years there to realize or less that that's what that's all about. Um, you mentioned the kinetic war, the war in Ukraine. What, what do you see there? Again, you watch what is happening as opposed to what they're telling you is happening. You know, we see German tanks now on the ground. We see Biden show up there on the ground a few weeks ago. Um, there's a, obviously China's visiting Putin. What, what do you see happening here that we wouldn't see? All right. So I know a lot about the Ukraine situation. I'm focused on the vaccine issue and, and financial stuff. And I've it's a hot topic. It's it's a waste of, of time to get into debates with people. But I'll give you I'll give you some things that maybe people aren't talking about at, from my analyst eyes. Um, Zelensky, he's in a war, seems to be appearing all over the globe doing fundraising. So he has time to do that. So that watch what they do, not what they say. Um, spending a lot of time away from his country. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two. We've given a lot of money, a hundred plus billion to Ukraine. And I've seen reports that they, they don't have ammo. So there's, I, there's a disconnect, no ammo, hundred billion. Where's the money? So what's going on there? Uh, I don't think we really know. Um, is this a, 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 is that money being stolen? I mean, these are questions that need to be asked. And apparently if you ask them, you're, uh, you're a Russian, you're, 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 you're a Putin stooge. I'm just, you know, this, this is what I see. Reports of ammunition, uh, deficits like bullets and a hundred billion. It makes no sense to me. These, these are just simple, watch what they do, know what they say kind of things. And Biden shows up there because it's a great way to get reelected, right? I mean, I think there's a history of presidents at war getting reelected almost, almost all of them. Well, let, let, let's look at that action in and of itself. We're told this war is brutal. Would a, would a president go into a hot zone? I mean, that, that I'm just I'm just asking that question. I mean, this, this, again, there's a lot of things going on that just make no sense to me. Just I'm just you know asking questions that I certainly I mean, did Roosevelt go to the UK during World War II? I, I don't think he did. No, he didn't. Yeah, there's some interesting questions. I mean, I've spoken to a few people like Jim Rickards who are saying, don't believe the American and the UK media. They're writing this whole story that Ukraine is making it and surviving and hitting back. None of that's true. Russia is winning and will win and will grind this out, but you're getting a completely opposite narrative in these publications. And when I hear something like that, I start reading all the articles differently and I start seeing all these somewhat puff pieces showing up on the front page of these publications that are talking about this these little wins and these great victories and these hearts and minds stories. And I'm like, what is this doing here? It just seems out of place a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've, um, the, the narrative seems to be the, the, the Ukraine is winning, but 
if you look at serious people that talk about it with serious credentials, Russia seems to be winning. And uh, since the mainstream media failed on the vaccine issue, I'm going to go with the independent media people for now when they're talking about what's really going on. So that's kind of that's kind of my bias, you, you know. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. No, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's where I am. I'm not. I'm not buying anything they're selling at the moment on any issue, to be honest. Yeah, it's kind of like when I see my favorite pop star um, doing an advert for the vaccine. You know, I think I'm starting to think like you, Ed, where you're looking at these little data points, like, hmm, something very strange when I see this, or like you said, when you see me at London Real in 2020 being taken off of YouTube after nine years, and like. I guess you see these little canaries and you start to take them as, as pieces of information to, to, to give you what's really happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I, did, that, I did that my whole career on Wall Street. I and mean, we, we would go to conferences and pick up little data points that would suggest that business is slowing down. I, I, made, I made my bones, made great calls in the dot-com bubble because we were picking up data points that things were slowing very fast. And we sold a lot of stock and it was just, no one told us, no one rang the bell, little data points here, CFO says this at one company, and then, oh, well, it sounds like there's an inventory problem, system-wide, let's go. That, so that's, you know, I don't wait around for the Wall Street Journal to tell me what's going on. And I think you didn't, on Wall Street, by the time you read it in the newspaper, you, you, you're either fired or you miss the opportunity. Yeah, but the signs are there. Like you said, if you know what yeah. to look for, and you know the normal behavior pattern, you can look out for little things, like you said. Yeah. Sometimes things on in the income statement, sometimes things that the CEO avoids or doesn't say in those meetings, like you said, and it's all, they're all tells, if you know what to look for. Correct. The rest of the public gets the whitewash, but you can kind of see little things that are happening there. Absolutely, and you know, I think that's what's interesting about um, uh, the work we've done is that we had we had little tells, little data points, but now we have hardcore metadata, and it's at this point, uh, it's it's a. Um, I think I, I think we proved our case. Uh, yesterday we dropped a new report. Um, it's called the Vaccine Damage Report, and we've taken all our work and we've come up with an estimate. The U.S. economy suffered 150 billion in vaccine damages in 2022. There's three buckets: the dead the disabled and the injured. Uh, the last piece of the puzzle was the injured. That's the most amount of individuals. We got that from the absence data and work time loss data. And what I want you to know is that uh, the chart there looks crazy. It goes like this into the 2022. So 2022 work time loss is 13 standard deviations above the 20 year trend. That's a black swan event. Um, and it seems to have accelerated in 22. Uh, that fits with the anecdotes that we're seeing where everybody's reporting that their co-workers who've been vaccinated are getting sick and, and, and missing a lot of work. So what we believe, unfortunately, is that uh, the immune system of many people, not, not all, I don't want to create a panic, but many people, their immune system has been compromised and uh, that this is showing up in the real world data. And, and this is just, forget the disabled and the dead, that's tragic. But now we have, and the number that we came up with, it's in our report, 26.3 million vaccine injured, 1.36 million disabled and 300,000 dead. So about 28 million people in the US have been affected by the vaccine. And we're only reporting the damages that we can measure, work time lost, salaries lost and disabilities, and then salaries lost from the dead. There's the knock on effects you know that we can't measure. Like um, if you do show up to work and you're injured, you're there, but you're only working at 50% capacity. Um, if you're uh, someone that has to take time off from work to take care of a disabled person, then the knock-on effects in the supply chain. And then as this problem emerges, all the resources that will be allocated to take care of these injured, once this comes to light and it's emitted, uh, there'll be a big portion of everyone's economy allocated to taking care of the injured, which could have been used for other purposes like, you know, pie in the sky going to mars i'm just saying like you know things that, that could be productive rather than care i mean not not that we shouldn't care for the sick and the injured but that's not a productive part of the economy that that's that that's what i and this so you know the number our 150 billion is probably way bigger than that when you factor in the lost productivity and the opportunity costs and i just want to put some numbers on this too so in 2022 
Pfizer made 7.1 billion and Moderna made 4.4 billion in the US. So for every $1 that Pfizer and Moderna made in revenue, it costs the US economy $13. That's that's what we believe. We have the numbers to prove it. And so we're we, we're of the opinion that uh, this is a tragedy and it needs to come to light. And we need to first admit there's a problem. Then we need to like let people know they've been injured so they can treat the problem. Because right now they're going in, everyone's going in with different symptoms and they're being given, you know, the drug deserve whatever that symptom is not addressing the core issue, which is your immune system has been compromised by the spike protein. That's basically what's going on. And Ed, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you think that, you know, the, the pharma execs or even some of the people in the government agencies, they must have known there was damage coming if they rushed something through. Do you think they just rolled the dice and focused on the cash? Or do you think they ever on the back of the envelope said, all right, this is going to play out. There's going to be actuarial data. Like, do we, what do we think this is going to happen? Do you think this is much more than they thought was going to happen? Or do you think they didn't even think that far? Well, let's, let's look at Pfizer. Let's pick on Pfizer. Let's, let's look at the organization. Let, let's, let's, let's forget the criminal conspiracy. Let's, how could this occur accidentally? Well, a lot of momentum behind this. You know, the government said, get this done, get this done. Uh, the clinical trials run. Um, we've proven in, in one of our uh, reports we put out a couple uh, weeks ago that uh, they should have known that there was a safety signal in the clinical trial, should have been stopped, halted. That's That's been proven. Um, so why wouldn't that, did the CEO know that or was that information kept from him because Everybody, you know, you know how organizations work. Don't no one wants to hear bad news. So let's give them the ben benefit of the doubt on that. I'm not saying we will, but that's how it could happen. So much institutional momentum. No one wants to give the boss the bad news. But let's go. And and there's fear and there's groupthink. That's how it could happen. But uh, I think there's some other things potentially we need to investigate personally. But that's 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 giving them the benefit of the doubt that. Uh, institutional momentum. It was rushed. No one wanted to hear bad news. So, you know, Borla never heard the word that the safety signal was in the trial. Let's, 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 that's, that's best case for all of them. But that doesn't mean, it still doesn't matter for Borla. He's culpable. He's a CEO. He goes to jail, but you know, the case could be made. He was a dope and he didn't know. So I, don't, I don't think that gets you out of jail time though. Are these injured people potentially uh, new customers now for pharma? Absolutely. So, so, so with the compromise, uh, compromised immune system, all sorts of new drugs can be sold to care for you. Um, I do want to say, if you think that your immune system has been compromised, and again, I have a lot of love and empathy for the vaccinated who had to take this. Uh, I chose not to. A lot of my loved ones did. This is not an indictment of the vaccinated. A lot of people were forced into it. The people who this has become a religion for are not going to listen to me anyways. But for those of you who uh, were forced to take it or or didn't have any skin in the game and, and trusted, th there's a test you can do. I talked to Teresa Long, Colonel Th Teresa Long, who has been um, very loudly speaking about what's going on with the pilots. She's a doctor uh, in the Air Force and uh, She's been screaming from the top of the lungs about what's happening to the pilots there. There's something called uh, a CBC test. It's called a complete blood count. And if it's low, uh, it doesn't mean anything on the first test. But if it's low, get a second. If it's if it's still low, your immune system may be compromised. So it's it's called the CBC. This can be done in any lab, any lab work. Uh, so that's just a way. To, if you're feeling like you might have been injured, get a CBC. I'm not a doctor, but that's what Therese, Dr. Teresa Long, Colonel Teresa Long told me yesterday after I dropped this report, she called me immediately and she said, ah, you're talking about the injured. And, and that ends. So we had a discussion about that. Yeah. You have no idea how many people stopped me on the streets in, you know, 2021, um, nurses from the NHS, um, workers in the tube, taxi cab drivers that were said, Brian, I've been watching your videos, but I'm getting forced. I'm forced to take this vaccine. Like I'm forced. I can't get my job. I have to do it. I've resisted it, but they're forcing me. And but like, I know this is, this is wrong. Again, these are medical people telling me this a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And I know they were, they were pushed into it or again, given the carrot and the stick and the carrot's super big and, you know, again, coerced into this. So 
I think it's important that you say that because again, we were a part of this fifth generation warfare was the two camps, right? The vax and the anti-vax and we're at war with each other. And we call these other these stupid names and like, that should not be what this is about. Like you said, Correct. we're forced to do this. This is, this is, uh, yeah, we need to find, I guess, solutions at this point. On that note, Ed, what if the president uh, decided to appoint you uh, to create a committee and clean this entire thing up, right? And said, guess what, Ed, we're giving you charge of this for the next 12 months. You do what you think is right to fix this in whatever way, shape or form that you think is the correct way. What would you do? Well, the first thing I would do that the US hasn't done, but the UK has done, well, the UK, uh, Denmark, and now Australia have all banned, or not banned, but they're, they're, they're saying don't get boosters if you're under 50. Um, I would completely pull this thing from the market first. No, you know, it's gone, no one's allowed to get it, it's illegal. Uh, that's number one. Number two, all the heads of uh, all our uh, regulatory bodies would just be gone and I'd appoint new people. Um, and there'd be investigations as to what went wrong. And uh, I'd also appoint a committee to, I'm not a doctor, but there's a lot of frontline doctors who have been maligned and disenfranchised who are working on solutions to detoxify or rid the body of the spike protein. I believe that our bodies are, are God-given and they're miracles. And so that I'm, as I don't want people to be in fear. I don't want people to, to, to think that they're, they're gonna die. I think there's a way to heal this. I truly believe that. And there's a lot of protocols being worked on. One that I do, I didn't take the vaccine, one I do with it, and this is gonna be part of the protocols is fasting. Fasting is a way to uh, reset the body, there's a process called autophagy that eats malformed proteins. It helps prevent Alzheimer's. It grows new stem cells. I do it about once a month. I do intermittent fasting. Fasting for me has been a boon to my health, my mental health, my life, my spiritual life. And it's, there's a reason every religion has done it for centuries. And mm -hmm. I think, I think, I think, I think fasting will be part of this and also other uh, supplements, nutrients. There'll be uh, other things. There's help coming. So I would form a committee to come up with a set of protocols that people could use to, um, to because the root of the problem is not the, all these little symptoms and indications. It's the vaccine, it's vaccine damage, and it's a spike protein. And right now, unfortunately, as you know, 80% of the globe, I, I think we're up to about 20% of the people who know what's going on. 80% of the globe still has no clue. And we need those people to get a clue because if this continues and that this is not fixed, um, uh, uh, Colonel Theresa Long said to me what I see in the rest of the economy. She said, we won't have a standing army in five years due to vaccine injury, recruitment, uh, the, the, all the people who quit and refuse. So there's a, this is good. We have a problem. We have a problem where we're going to slowly see the global economies break down unless we fix this because we can't lose this many people to, um, be, uh, to injuries and, and, and working at half speed. So that we need to, we need to plug the hole, stop it, fix it, and heal. That's what I would do if I was in charge. Uh, I'm not. So that's. Is that why you say it's a national security issue? Correct. Yeah. Okay. yeah um, look, if you look, we I just identified our numbers are conservative. We 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 wanted we didn't want to we didn't want people to uh, come at us. Well, we want them to look at us and come at us, but they can't come at us that we're being bombastic. We're probably too conservative. We're on the low side, but. You know, almost 30 million Americans, that's 10% of the country, mostly working age, able-bodied, have been injured, disabled, or, de or died. That's devastating to any nation. There's only about 164 people in the, in, the, in the civilian labor force, and about 100 to 120 of those are fully employed all the time. So so if, if the 28 million were, let's take five off, so 25 million uh, are employed, that's 25 percent of our workforce has an issue that's a problem a real problem and Ed, what about you you have been censored probably vilified you probably never set out to be a public figure but you are now what's it like being you yeah this has been an interesting journey um and I've, I've been blessed with uh, going through some personal things in my life where I gained a lot of humility and I try to look at my intentions and my ego and make sure I'm not being egoic in my decisions. So this journey 
I always have one thing in mind, stop the vaccination program and anything that comes my way that's not aligned with that, because people will, my, my newfound fame is people wanting to suck my energy for this or that, make money, do this. Uh, I'm staying on the true intention, stop this program, uh, this vaccination program. And so I'm aligned with that. Um, and I'm also recognizing that I'm becoming endowed the phenomenon. So there's this phenomenon media personality, but then there's me. And I'm making sure that I don't start buying into this. Keep me, me. And whatever people think this is, that's great. As long as I stay in integrity, this will stay fine. If I start getting, you know, in my head that I'm wonderful or special, it all blows up. So I'm just a, I'm just a guy that got lucky enough to pray to God, to get a voice. Uh, I have some talents that have been put to good use. Could other people have done this? Sure. I also want to shout out everybody in my journey, the, the good doctors. I mean, they, they were the ones who really you know, took a lot of heat and uh, I, I have nothing but love and respect for them. They were the early soldiers. I have respect for people like you. I have respect for um, all the independent media, um, you know, Senator Ron Johnson and uh, the people the people in my life that uh, have supported me in my journey. I've, I, I've been lucky enough to build a team around me. I on, In February of last year, I said I want to be a light, lightning rod for this issue. And people, people um, answered the call. Josh Sterling came uh, to help me. Uh, I was reached out to by my friends in Portugal and now my uh, partners, Carlos and Yuri, uh, the, uh, the still anonymous people who work for us. Uh, my publisher, Tony Lyons, who pitched me the book with Gavin DeBecker. Gavin DeBecker lives on Maui. He called me up to uh, have coffee with him in August, pitched me a book. Uh, and, uh, I said, yes. And I wrote it in a month and, uh, he did a lot of work. He and his, uh, team did a lot of work on a lot of the graphics and the QR codes, all the data analysis and writing is mine, but this was a team effort and it's not just Ed Dowd. It's like a host of characters behind me. So what you see is amazing. Yeah. I'm a fan. I'm just in awe of all the people who've helped me. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I'm a fan of Gavin DeBecker as well. I've, I've heard him speak and he's a very interesting guy. Great to have people like that with you. It's funny, you know, uh, I felt this too, Ed, is that a lot of times you'll get a lot of hate problems, but at this, when, when the world throws that at you in these situations, you'll get these incredible allies that just roll up in your DMs and you're like, wow, um, you know, and that's what I found when we finally really stood up for this thing. I got a lot of problems, a lot of institutions trying to bring us down, but a, a ton of people that really were there to support us in so many different ways. And um, yeah, it was really satisfying in that sense. I agree with you. And, and, and the amount of, I lost a lot of friends when I started to speak out on this issue. I got ghosted by a lot of people on the mainland it used to be my friends. And they've been replaced a hundredfold with the best people. Yeah. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. It's so true. When you really stand up for something that's important to you and go all in. Yeah. Like you said, the, the, maybe the people you thought were your friends kind of go away and they're replaced by people that are really in your tribe and, and, and dialed right into you. And uh, yeah, like you said, a hundredfold. You mentioned spirituality. Uh, I Go ahead. Uh, one other thing, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Malone. He yeah. he was the one who, who got who's kind of got me hooked up with Steve Bannon. And uh, so if it wasn't for Dr. Malone, my voice might have never been heard. So I want to give a special shout out to him. But go ahead. What's your next question? Yeah, no, a doctor's been great. I um, he we had him on the show, and then he came to London and sat right here in the studio with me. And uh, yeah, we had an incredible three hour conversation. He's a real. Um, yeah, uh, fellow truth warrior, as he as he called me, and I, I feel that way about him. So he's been incredible. Yeah, your spirituality. Tell me about that and how important that is, because you've referenced it a few times. And you know, when 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 things are tough, sometimes you have to check in with these kind of higher powers, and they kind of can guide you and then tell you if you're doing the right thing. Can you speak on that a bit? Yeah, sure. So you know, I I I, I was lucky enough to go through a spiritual battle of my own in 2011, 12. I became uh, clinically depressed, and uh, my depression wasn't clinically wasn't clinical until I met with the pharmaceutical industry psychiatrists and therapists who I had, I had mild anxiety and depression, and 
then I was provided a cocktail of uh, SSRIs and uh, antidepressants and what have you. And uh, it made me worse, made me, made me a lot worse. And through that journey, um, I met a psychiatrist who, um, uh, you know, li lived in Cambridge with me, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, his, his whole career was taking people off antidepressants. Uh, he was of the belief that they were not suitable for the, the the vast majority of the population that most depression is situational it's normal happens in life and you get over it and that these drugs uh, uh when used improperly can devastate people with side effects suicidal thoughts um all sorts of disorders knock-on effects and he his job was to take people off those drugs and he told me ed you're a walking zombie uh and he was um spiritual as well and he said and i you know i believe in god he said you need to get uh you need to pray to god you need to get off the victim pity party you need to change your diet and you need to get off all these drugs i need to get do physical activity and i did all three so the bargain was with god i had to meet him halfway i had to give over all my worries and anxieties to him but i had to do i had to do my deal which was you know get fit fast um get off all the drugs change the way i thought uh, I used to be a very, on Wall Street, it's hard not to be a little ADD. So I was always in the present or in the past and the, and, and the future. So I was never really present. And a lot of spirituality is present moment thinking because fear is really doesn't exist for the most part. The future fears, they're not, they're not real. They haven't happened yet. In the present moment, you're fine. And if you're in the past, you're dwelling in, a, in victimhood. So I, I've come up with a saying that Satan lives in the, in the past. In the future, God is in the, in the present moment. The more I stay in the present moment, I mean, right now we're talking about awful stuff and I have to go out into the future, but um, I come back to the present moment as, as often as possible. I enjoy life. I mean, I take time for myself. I'm, we're doing a ton of work, but I'm not sitting around depressed. Life goes on. You know, people get married. People are going to have children. As, as much as things are messed up, life goes on and you have to enjoy it while you can. So, you know, I do what I can. I'm trying to make a difference, but I give the results over to God so that I don't get I don't get frustrated. I do what I can, and if 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 all my work results in nothing, well, that's okay. But I try. The, the strange thing about this space, I've found Ed, when I'm talking to people like you or Dr. Malone or a whole host of others, these people are surprisingly, you know, great to be around. They're positive people. They're, they want to find solutions. And even though we're kind of mired in, in, in analyzing probably one of the worst things to ever happen to humanity, the people aren't like that. And that's always a good sign to me that like my comrades are people that are, like you said, in the moment, still feeling good about doing work in a difficult situation. And yeah, that's always a good sign for me. I'm excited. Uh... Look, I truly believe every great evil creates a great good. And we've just seen a great evil. And I do think there's a renaissance coming, but we have to go through the tribulation, the economic collapse, the fear, the people who don't understand. But there's a core of us now that are awake. And, you know, I think there's going to be new systems that emerge. And I hope to be part of the building of that. You know, I, I view this like the movie, The Matrix, that, you know, you're Neo and you work with the machines or you're Agent Smith and you want out of the system. Now, Agent Smith is viewed as an evil dude, but is he? I mean, Agent Smith just wanted out, and uh, we can either we can either be Neo and work with the machines, the establishment, or if they don't want to work with us, we create a new system. That's where I think this is going. I like that observation. Yeah, he, he the, even the machines in the Matrix wanted out, didn't they? It's really well said. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree. I think we can create a system. And again, I'm always throw it back. I mean, you know, back in 2020 when you were watching me here, here I was, some YouTuber having conversations with some 67 year old man that has a one bedroom flat in the Isle of Wight. And we're putting out these broadcasts that are being watched 20, 30, 40, 50 million times around the world and really bothering a lot of people with zero resources. <laughs> and so, you know, whenever you think that the machine is too big and it's not worth battling and you can't, you can't fight the big pharma and big media and big tech and big government, like all you have to do is look closely and there's a ton of evidence of people with very few resources actually fighting them and getting amazing results. So that's always something I, I'd like people to remember uh, if they're getting into this and looking at this. You know, there's incredible force multipliers out there. Um, and again, we, we still are able to put these messages out 
and fund these things. And so that's, that's always really optimistic for me. I do think uh, we're winning slowly. I, I, I mean, <laughs> we clearly I mean, are. I mean, I mean, look, we, we, we stopped the quarterly vaccination program. We, um, you uh, are now able to talk on YouTube again. And uh, that's a battle that I think you probably had a big hand in. And she retired. So, yeah, I would I would take a victory lap. <laughs> no, you're right. Well said. I still have, uh, like I said, her gold button for our million subscribers <laughs> and a letter from her. So, uh, yeah, good riddance. Um, what's next for you? Uh, you, what are your plans for the future? Cause you have some pretty big ones, right? Yeah. So, uh, we're wrapping up the vaccine issue. We, as far as we're concerned, we've proved the case over case closed. I'll probably update the book. Um, but, uh, that doesn't mean we're not going to update the data. So we're going to continue to update the data. Um, but that's, we can't do this pro bono forever. So we're, we're plan Carlos, in addition to being a genius on this issue, also, um, has uh, a hedge fund model ready to go. And so we're going to raise capital. It's, it's based on um, economic fundamental indicators with a quant wrapper. And it's, 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 it's got great results. And he, he had it live at one of his old firms for a little bit. So we're going to try to raise capital. Fine. And we're fine. And, and, and we've had people approach us. We're going very slow. We didn't want to raise capital right now because we want this data to be without any, any questions of who's financing us. So the, the, what we've done in the Humanity Project is free. We're looking for a seed partner. Uh, it's going to be a big seed partner. The ask is quite big. We're looking for a $100 million seed partner. He seeds the fund or she, and they get 20% of our company. So they, they'll make money on their money, and then they'll participate in the growth of the firm. Um, and we pledged in our pitch deck, which has not gone really anywhere yet because we've been holding it close to the vest, um, in our pitch deck to take a very substantial amount of our personal profits and roll them into other projects. So this is not going to be a hedge fund where if it's successful, I own 17 homes and, uh, you know, a yacht. And uh, it's about, you know, we're going to we're going to roll it back into the world. Uh, uh, Carlos and Yuri are physicists. There's interesting things there that, that they're going to fund. Uh, we're, we're looking at uh, crypto solutions, whether it's Bitcoin or other solutions. Not to speculate in, but as a means to um, transact. Uh, we're going to look into um, new healthcare modalities. Uh, you know, holistic health, funding those, funding charities that we like, funding politicians that are aligned. But this first seed investor needs to be absolutely 100% aligned with their values. So we're not taking any any money from anywhere that's suspicious. Just to give you an anecdote, we were reached out to by a private banker in Germany. I won't reveal the name of the family he represented, but it was a family that uh, would raise eyebrows. And we said, well, we're looking for people with the same values and we're not going to give you our presentation. Um, we'd like to meet with the family and see if our values align. We have not heard back. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, not surprising. Um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, websites, socials, and how can they buy the book? Yeah, so the book is on Amazon. It's uh, Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Death in 21 and 22. I'm on Twitter, at Dowd Edward, D-O-W-D Edward, Getter, at Edward Dowd. And our website that has all the data that anybody can use as a force multiplier to anything you want. Talk to your local school board, your local politician, your corporation, HR people, is financetechnologies.com. You can contact us there. It's ph. Uh, I-N-A-N-C-E technologies.com. It's PH instead of an F. And you go to the Humanity Project tab and all our projects are there. We have all the excess death data for Europe, UK, Germany, uh, Australia, US. We have disability data for the US. We're going we're gonna to work on disability data for the UK. Uh, we're going to work on that next. And that's going to probably be pretty close to what we're seeing in the US. And in fact, the UK data is even more granular than the US data. So we're looking forward to that project. But again, we've kind of feel like we've proven the case. The vaccine is killing, maiming and injuring untold amounts of people. I'm so glad you're doing this work, Ed. And uh, I'm just, I'm always amazed by the incredible people that are out there doing this, you know, whether it's like Dr. Malone, you, I just keep being shocked and surprised that so many smart people with like the right North Star and the right compass are doing really good analytical work to show what's happening out there. And it's just a breath of fresh air. 
I didn't even know if this was ever coming, to be honest. So um, just really appreciate what you do, Ed. Um, you make it look easy, but I know it has not been easy to do everything that you've done. So uh, just shout out for all those challenging moments that I know you faced and a lot of people that push back in this space faced. And um, really looking forward to the, the data you produce and everything that you're going to, uh, to do in the future. I love the idea of this fund and I love how you're being very careful on how you set it up because that's so important. So um, yeah, and if you ever get out of Maui and over to London, let's do this in person sometime. Absolutely, no, I would love to do that. Fantastic. All right, there he is, Ed Dowd. Uh, we might've just broke the internet with this thing, I hope so. I uh, really appreciate you. Check him out, get the book, Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. Uh, it's on Amazon and perhaps we can get even mainstream media reviewing it, we'll see. And uh, thanks so much, Ed. Uh, let's, like I said, let's do this in person next time. You got it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Excellent. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time on London Real. Bye.